technically we're here uh, because Hello. because Simon's hosting a movie trivia on rom-coms. Rom-coms. And we do, but you all love rom-coms. We do. We sure do. Uh, and we're here to talk about it. And we're also here to talk about whether or not the rom-com is dead. Spoiler alert, it's not technically. Asterisk. The rom-com is dead. Long live the rom-com. Heck yeah. Yes. Heck yes. yeah. Uh, welcome to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff, and I already hinted that Simon's here. Hello. And then Mary Graham's here, too. Hi. And Roddy's here. Hello. And where to begin? Well, well, to start, I, it's 4 p.m. on a Friday, that's listeners. Right. We are punchy. So... We're about to have a great time. I just chugged a lot of coffee. Let's go. This is going to be a roller coaster. Especially sassy today, so forgive me. But we are starting by defining a rom-com. Rom-com is short for romantic comedy. And just like Mary Graham and I were pretty much sticklers about what counts as a romance book, I can, in fact, be shockingly a stickler about what is defined as a rom-com, in Mm. which... It is a movie that is a romance movie with a strong comedic subplot or tone. But you have, on the converse, a lot of of comedic films that have a romantic subplot. For example, Miss Congeniality is not a rom-com. It is a comedic movie with a romantic subplot. Mm. Um, This is fascinating. How do you feel... Oh, sorry. Your various. So, like, I, dear listeners, finally watched The Mummy last week. <laughs> Not a rom com, but a deeply romantic film. Yes. Not because there's this trend in romance publishing that really grinds my gears of calling books rom-coms. Yes. And my problem with this Mm. is romance novel is not a dirty word or a dirty phrase. Mm -hmm. And most things that get handed to me that have been described as rom-coms are not funny. They are not funny. (laughs) Many of them are secret cancer books, which is not what I'm here for. Oh no is right, Simon. Oh no is right. (laughs) Which is not what I'm here for. And also, if you hand me a book and say, it's a romantic comedy, I better be laughing. See, I'm going to be the contrarian here where I say it doesn't have to be a movie and I will hand you cherry magic, tell you it's a rom-com, and I assure you it's a rom-com. It's a show. That's a show, TV? It's also a TV show. It's also a manga. And we own the manga. (laughs) So come on down. Yeah. But that that is not fair to have a switcheroo. It's not like I would hand you you, uh, (laughs) Steel Magnolias and say, hey, here's a great rom-com. No, Um, it's a great movie that will make you ball your eyes out. But... Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, Anne Hathaway, I Cary Grant, Cary Grant. Oh, let's just build our Mount Rushmore here. Cary <laughs> Grant is um, scribbling more things. Case, like you have uh, Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. you have Angela Bassett. Yes, mm-hmm. you also have um, Richard Gere. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Hepburn to a certain extent. Yes. Before she's Playing Eleanor of Aquitaine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy were in like mm-hmm. uh, three or four movies together. Yep. Also, but- I have to admit, along the same vein as Simon, I did write down a book because it is a book that I feel like people don't like to recognize the romance aspect of things. And because mm-hmm. it is considered literature, they really like to ignore it. But Pride and Prejudice no, you're right. is mm-hmm. one of the funniest books. I'm ne- just throwing that Never. Out. Never heard of it. <laughs> well, and even Austin herself was like, 
Is it too funny? Did I make it too funny? <laughs> she has she has this line about like it's a, it's a bit it's very light, bright, and, and sparkly. Well, is, and- is this not like the Rosetta Stone, like Frankenstein for horror? Pride and Prejudice, does it not all go back to yeah. that? Here's here's the thing. For for rom-com trivia night, I resisted making every single question, what book is this based off of? Because almost all of them are Jane Austen. Right. Yeah. Jane Austen or Shakespeare. Or yes. uh, an obscure Hungarian play. Yes. You've got mail. Yes. Oh, yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I am learning things today. Oh, once we get to You've Got Mail, it will also become musical theater podcast Redux because no, we will no. be talking about She Loves Me. <laughs> Oh man! So so let's get back to Roddy. You're getting out. You're starting us off like Sorry. what defines a rom com? Right. So it doesn't. But some of the rom coms I have in mind are not necessarily romantic, even if the characters express love for each other and are in a romantic relationship. Well, what are you thinking about? Yeah, say more. Uh His Girl Friday. Yeah, <laughs> is a movie in which the two characters are together at the end, but basically spend 89 minutes sniping at each other. Mm-hmm. So it's an enemies to lovers. <laughs> yes, it is an enemies to lovers. Um, all the way down to the fact that they were married before the movie, got a divorce, and then it's one of those like which they get back together. At also the end. happens in the Philadelphia story, yes. which is I remember watching the Philadelphia story. Also, Catherine Hepburn being like in like college after I had started reading romance novels and being like, "This is a romance novel." Oh, mm-hmm. so they used to just make romance novels. Mm-hmm. And put them on film. Yes. Because even even something like When Harry Met Sally, a film I genuinely enjoy, I wouldn't, I don't watch that and think, it doesn't connect to the novel form in my mm-hmm. mind. I'm like, oh, this is a very, like, distinct period of cinema. Yes. Um, my example. Nora Ephron, top of her game. My yes. example of romantic comedies that I don't think are actually that romantic, you've got mail. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, we'll, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But I wanted to just hark back to, to Pride and Prejudice for a second because that is what I see in a lot of rom-coms. Mm-hmm. You see it in It Happened One Night. It's mm-hmm. basically they hate each other until they don't. Yes. Yes. And I mean, sorry, Simon, you've been trying to say something. I speak. <laughs> oh, no. I don't even remember what I was going to okay. say. The blessings of ADHD. But I was going to say enemies to lovers is just a trope that slaps hard no matter what genre you're in. <laughs> it has to... I get so picky, but enemies I mean, to lovers, the trope of you've got mail. So we'll this, this is me like throwing <laughs> this movie out there, but this is another movie that's in the same vein. And I mean, listener, there's this book that I just read. It's called from Hollywood with love. Mm. Um, and it's great. I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head right now. I'm sure Jeff will do some quick Googling for me, but um, there was a movie that I thought was very absent from that book, which I 100% believe to be a rom-com for lots of reasons, which is Coming to America starring Eddie Murphy. The entire premise of that movie is that, if you've never seen the uh, first movie, is that he is coming to America quite literally to find a wife because Mm -hmm. the woman who he is arranged to marry because he's a prince, he's not that interested in her. She's been raised her entire life to marry him. She doesn't have a personality of her own, not of her own fault, but he's just like, I would like to not have a wife who's completely subservient to me and I would like her to be her own person and I would like to meet her and fall in love. That is the basis of that movie, which is a hilarious movie and is oftentimes just billed as being just a comedy when it's like, no, the entire plot 
hinges on the romance of that yeah. movie. And um, that was absent from that book, which I thought was an oversight, despite the fact that I really liked the book. And I think that's also another example of this conversation of where we will try to... I feel like people take romance out of the equation in order to elevate something in their mm -hmm. mind because they kind of view uh, romance as being like a detraction of sorts. Or to make it cool. Yes. like. Coming to America has to be funny because it's Eddie Murphy and it's cool. If you yeah. say romance, then it's... Right. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, no, that is 100% a romantic comedy. The entire point of the movie is finding love. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that that is a movie that I kind of feel like plays into, like, the Pride and Prejudice and, you know, the His Girl Friday thing. Like, these movies are not all the same movie. They're mm -hmm. not about the same thing. But I feel like they are a book in Pride and Prejudice's um, example but they are examples of romantic comedies that don't always get their due in being romantic comedies. Yeah, so, definitely. That's all. That's I think that's such a good point that you make about, I mean, because and we've talked about that in our romance novel podcast mm -hmm. as well, about trying to take romance out to elevate stuff because something that really annoys me is when people take Jane Austen and, and out of like a respect, for it or its place in the literary canon they're like you know stop trying to to just make it a love story it's actually a biting social satire about economic insecurity it's not not a biting social commentary and it's not not about economic insecurity but her books can also be deeply romantic i i have a list of some films that i wouldn't necessarily consider romantic comedies but are i do consider deeply romantic films and the 2020 adaptation of emma is one of those oh my god i think it's so dreamy and emma's one of my favorite novels i've talked about that film a lot with mm -hmm. friends of mine who are also big big like jane austen fans but also english majors right and we just like you know when people focus all their review time on oh it's about you know emma's misperceptions and learning to see the world as it really is and growing mm -hmm. up yeah it is about that it's also about this like deep and abiding love that she finally comes to realize she has with her next door neighbor who then uncharacteristically for the time makes a bunch of sacrifices for her mm -hmm. to move into her house so that she could still take care of her father and like mm -hmm. anyway uh, on, on a related note a movie that people try and tell me isn't a rom-com but absolutely is a rom-com is clueless yes which is based on emma My people i'm sorry um, yeah no well it's based on emma and like the thing that people are always like oh but like the romance isn't the central part of it she's got her own thing blah blah, blah. and i'm like yeah she's a well-rounded character it's that's, also a rom-com. That's actually the best rom-coms like, are yes. about well-rounded yes. characters. The, like the timeless ones have well-rounded characters. Yes. Uh, when so, Harry Met Sally <laughs> is literally about two well-rounded characters yes. who find their way in and out of love and back to each other again. Uh, that film, I think, yeah. holds up so well. It was one of my quarantine film viewings. Mm -hmm. And some, I mean, somehow I had just simply never seen it up to that point. Mm. And my parents and I watched it together. My parents have seen it plenty of times. But I watched it and I was like, this is a movie, first of all, about two friends, which an excellent mm -hmm. premise for a film, but also ultimately about a man who starts off the film seeing women as sex objects mm -hmm. and ends the film seeing women as people. That's what I find interesting about that is that it's it's he has that belief from scene one. Yeah. And Sally's like, what are you talking about? You're that's stupid. And it comes to the end where he's like, you know what? I changed my mind. And Sally could almost say, I know. 
I told you 18 <laughs> years ago that was stupid. And do you yes. think I would be with you if you hadn't changed your mind? Exactly. And and I yeah, and so I think that that being the the core of the movie is part of what it's not like Sally it, needs some sort of epiphany. Right, he right. Needs, I mean, exactly. And then you also get Carrie Fisher being yes. perfect for the whole film. Oh, yeah. Oh, that also reminds He'll me. He'll never leave his wife. Um, of like the trend of like self-absorbed male characters in rom-coms. And then you yeah. have like, here's a woman who's just a normal person who then teaches him in a way to be a normal person. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are some movies that you know, like when Harry Met Sally is a fantastic version of that kind of a trope, which mm-hmm. is not like in retrospect looking at the trope. I'm like, mm, I don't really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of emotional labor. But it's also one that we see all the time. Uh, I mean, just going to get this out the way. Pretty Woman. That is literally <laughs> the plot of that movie, yeah. which that movie is a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> so I'm putting that out there. But mm-hmm. also another movie in which that case in a movie which is a retelling would be Ever After, the uh, Cinderella mm-hmm. retelling with mm-hmm. Doug Ray Scott and uh, Drew Barrymore. Like uh, Duke Ray Scott getting top billing in Roddy's. Re- <laughs> okay, so <laughs> listen, I rewatched that movie recently because I loved. That was one of my favorite movies when I was younger. It is a good movie, and I rewatched mm-hmm. it, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot stand him because <laughs> he plays a prince who is having an existential crisis for the duration of the movie. And Drew Barrymore is playing this young woman. The coolest woman ever, Who basically. is so cool and so amazing. And dealing with her own stuff, had to censor myself. And then <laughs> she finds herself rescuing this prince along the way. And then he spurns her publicly which in my opinion is unforgivable but i get it's a romance movie we need our happy ending but jail for him for a jail thousand for years. him forever <laughs> um and but it is such a deeply romantic movie it is also very very funny if you hear me say i'm just here for the food i've been saying that my whole life because <laughs> of that movie it's also true it's like my life philosophy at this point mm-hmm. but like that is a movie that also embodies that trope and I feel like we need to acknowledge that that's a big thing in wrong. <laughs> I would personally like to put some movies on the table and address them. Yes. So I just Googled it. The term rom-com originates somehow somewhere in 1971. Uh, 70s itself, not really known for rom-coms. But <laughs> let's, I think our fascination with it comes within this five-year period. Mm-hmm. 89, When Harry Met Sally. 90, Pretty Woman. 93, Sleepless in Seattle, and then 94, the Academy Award nominated for Best Picture, Four Weddings and a Funeral. From that moment onward, everyone was like, man, Mm rom-coms, bring on my best friend's wedding. And we are off to the races. I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. (laughs) The interesting thing is, I have seen one of those movies, and that's When Harry Met Sally. And, And I feel like I've actually knowing the basic premise of a lot of Mm -hmm. those films been like no thank you and and i've been more interested in sort of the later swing of like the teen Mm -hmm. comedies Mm -hmm. or like the later like more 90s stuff which also may just be a function of my age of like when i was born we will get to 10 things so i also just so many of those movies that came out in that era like were 
Um, well, and this is another big trope in pretty much all rom-coms that I'm kind of sick of happening and I wish it would stop happening, which is that like someone is already in a relationship and it's a perfectly uh. functional relationship and everybody seems like they're super happy, except it's like the the guy has allergies, so clearly he's not her soulmate. I like, want a movie about Shatspired at Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, at Sleepless in Seattle directly. <laughs> I want a movie about all of the spurned perfectly normal people from rom-coms and yeah. all of Bill the like Pullman. I know that's immediately yes. who I thought of. Sorry. And all of the like high powered women who are like, I'm sorry if you can't support my career, whatever that like, I want these mm -hmm. women to like find men who are like, no, it's cool, babe. I'll clean the apartment. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It just, Oh yeah. This is the mean. multiversal event we want. Yes. Yeah. Way of the house husband. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Simon, please tell them about this. I will just gush quite. Oh, okay. Um, speaking of, uh, this is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but you know, the rom-com is dead. Long live the rom-com. There's this comic called way of the house husband that is like a big, tough gangster man who fell in love with a career woman and is now just her house husband. And he's so happy being the house husband. He's like crushing it as the house husband. But he just, he looks very tough and scary. So the neighborhood ladies, it takes him a second before he's welcomed in with open arms into like that local housewives association and like, yeah, way of the house husband. Also, That's the best thing I've ever heard. Yes. Rides a bike everywhere. Yes. Like he bikes, he's very eco-friendly. Mm -hmm. He Oh, he's obsessed with sales yes. and extreme couponing and like always always has a reusable bag on him yes. and he chastises people that are like bad at the house husband thing and teaches them how to be better at it yes so i'm putting this on hold yes, yes. you are <laughs> uh, it is it is deeply funny yes. and so sweet and and their relationship is so adorable so that does lead me into something with all of these films that jeff has sort of noted mm -hmm. and the the, the 80s sort of early 90s rom-com scene in general, which mm -hmm. is maybe a reason that people who disparage them disparage them, which is gender roles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, like, straight people, straight people <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Yes. Um, and, and I'm just, like, like thinking about my my own list of, like, oh, my faves. Mm -hmm. It's not that the gender roles aren't present, but it's, they don't grate on me quite as much. Yeah. Like, thinking about something like Clueless, like, sure, like, there's a lot of women be shopping <laughs> in Clueless, but it somehow just makes sense. First of all, it's not out of nowhere. Like, it makes yeah. sense for the character. And as you say, like, Cher's a really well-rounded character. I mean, yes. the, talk about the number of times I reference, uh, let me remind you, it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> actually a very cogent argument from a 1990s teen comedy. I think, yes. I think one of the best parts of Clueless is that Cher is kind of the caricature of, in terms of how she dresses and speaks, mm -hmm. of how someone would, you know, try to write the most tropey, vapid, not very intelligent yeah. um, girl. But she is so smart. She knows everything about, like, she's yeah. very knowledgeable of the things that she approaches. Um, and while, yes, she makes mistakes because she's a teenager, like, she is on top of her stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really like that about her. And about the way that she's written. <sighs> Clueless. It just, yep. it just <laughs> all roads back lead. Uh, all roads lead back to Clueless. <laughs> but there's another movie that we both really, really love. That I know is one of your favorites, Mary Graham, which is my big fat Greek wedding. It oh, sure yeah. is. Which, 
you know, <laughs> it's also about gender roles, but mm-hmm. also like cultural and familial roles. Yes. And subverting them. And that's to an extent. And yeah. What makes it <laughs> the bomb.com. Jeff, you look like you have a question. What do you mean he doesn't eat any meat? (laughs) (laughs) That movie means so much to my very not Greek family. Let me tell you, there's, there's, there's so much to that movie that I feel like everyone. So much to that movie, and I watched it relatively recently and like cried Mm -hmm. just because I think so. Something that I really, really love about that film is that once Tula and I can't remember her love interest name get together, (laughs) they stay to Ian, they stay together. And the movie is about the external challenges that they face together. There's no third act breakup. There's they're very good at like communicating Mm -hmm. and there's just also, I mean, like when she shows up at the school where he teaches mm-hmm. and goes, but why do you love me? And he says, because my life came alive when I met you. And like, and again, talking, I know, Roddy, I know. It's so and, good. And talking about like all of these films where women sort of have to stand by and do their own thing while men like figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. This is a movie about a man who's like, okay, so like, I love you and you've got an enormous Greek family. So like, uh, teach me what's up here. And and by the end, I mean, he's dancing at his own wedding and his new father-in-law goes, my God, he's Greek, you know? <laughs> but I think I think that the, the, the conflict of, I mean, there's a scene where her mother sits, or her father sits down with her mother and, and, and they're talking about her bringing home this waspy guy, you know, who her father doesn't approve of because he says, how do I know who he is? How do I don't know his people? How do I know that he's going to be good? Like, I love my daughter. I want her to be happy and I don't know him mm-hmm. and I don't know where he comes from. And that's a very sympathetic, I mm-hmm. think, like, even though it, it creates a conflict, it's not a kind of absent-minded antagonism. Um, also, I was just over here laughing that you could not remember the love interest's name for a second, which also speaks to how well-written the lead role is yes. in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, Can and, I just and, say, guessing off the top of my head, I know his name is Corbett, yeah. uh, but I'll just refer to him as the guy from Northern Exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, for me, so the reason that my family loves that movie is because uh, I grew up going to church with a lot of Syrian families, which, of course, not the same, but the whole thing about, like, Windex and just like give me any word, I will show you it comes from Greek. That same sense of national pride is very strong <laughs> with all of the Syrian grandmothers and aunties I grew up with. Yes. And or um uh when I was a little bit older, we know a family who uh, is Lebanese on the mom's side and very waspy on the dad's side. And when this dad talks about his wedding, he's like, You see my big fat Greek wedding? That was my wedding. Here's the groom's side. There's 20 of them. My wife's Lebanese. There's the rest of the church. (laughs) It just... And one of the other things that that movie... So that movie does have a makeover sequence. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. However, however, that is a movie that I will give that sequence a pass for. Because when you are, as Tula was, very obviously deeply depressed, Mm -hmm. anxious... All of those things, like, you don't, like, it, I felt that it was very emblematic of something that I feel would be relatable to a lot of people, where as you start to find your own happiness, not necessarily saying that that has to be an outward makeover, Mm -hmm. but the way that you care for yourself 
changes. And I also saw, I appreciated that that happened not while she was in pursuit of the main male lead. And I think that that also adds to like it being emblematic of like the, like her mental state, her outlook on life, everything changing because she was starting to take charge with her life. It's also got the best proposal scene because they're just like hanging out in bed together. And he's like, hey, do you want to get married? Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, yeah. And he reaches under the bed and there's a ring. I was just going to say that the father's arc in that film is possibly my favorite thing about yeah. it, and one of the, and it it goes to say the value of a well developed side character, which is yeah. something mm-hmm. that rom coms don't always do. Sometimes you have these uh, tropey side characters, like the friend at work, like mm-hmm. Catherine Hahn plays in a movie called How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. How are you going to waste Catherine Hahn like that? However. Right. Here's a movie with good developed side characters and uh, a concerned parent. It's called 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay, so both Simon and Mary Graham had to listen to me talk about how excited I was to talk about this movie today because it's one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no closed captions for this, so I'm sorry if I said that too fast for you to catch, listener. But let's talk about 10 Things I Hate About You because I love this movie so deeply and i love the acting it also takes one of shakespeare's rom-coms one of his worst rom-coms and Mm -hmm. makes it into something not just palatable but delicious and it is great i love it it's so good it has everything that you could possibly want so Um, this is taming of the shrew this is taming the shrew and listener Mm -hmm. let me tell you i I, I, I enjoy Mr. William Shakespeare. Studied a lot of Mr. William Shakespeare in my higher education. Uh, and at one point, tried to watch the Stratford Festival production of Taming the Shrew, which is very, very highly regarded and well-reviewed. And, and, and a pretty kind of, they, they play it pretty straight. Could not make it all the way through because good Lord, that play could truly be called Gaslighting, a comedy by Mr. William Shakespeare. Absolutely. It's a really <laughs> like you see people I've seen I've seen live performances of some fairly heavily edited versions that have somewhat convinced me, but mostly it's just a deeply uncomfortable play to watch. It doesn't age, it's not funny. And 10 things I hate about you does so many which like actually confession i mean roddy knows that i currently have our copy of the dvd on my desk because somehow i've never seen this film but i know that the premise of it is their their very protective father saying well my younger daughter can't date until my older daughter was and she hates men so great i'm home free that's a genius reinterpretation yes. of the premise of taming of the shrew also mm-hmm. a single father who is also an OBGYN who delivers children <laughs> for a living Amazing. and i know that you're going to watch this so i'm going to refrain from talking about one of the lectures that he gives but it's he, that man is so anxious and so stressed out about being a single father raising two teenage daughters he does a pretty good job anyway. He does. Unlike, uh, oh, crap, the dad in that one John Cusack movie. Say anything? Say anything, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. does does not 10 Things I Hate About You also include, like, baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt? It yes. sure does. Oh, yeah, I've, not, I've, not even off Third Rock yet. 
Probably uh, yeah, I've had an age-appropriate crush on Joseph Gordon-Levitt since I was, you know, his age watching Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. He <laughs> is in Angels in the Outfield, isn't he? Yes. He's been around for a long time. Oh, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old man. Um, no, not you. <laughs> Mary Graham, you'll appreciate this uh, if my memory is not too fuzzy. And because I remember I'm older, that film came out when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And our high school got to go on a field trip to Stratford to see, and the only time I've ever been to Stratford was to see one play, and it was Taming of the Shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. But the teacher was like, hey kids, you like this movie, get <laughs> it's, in the bus. <laughs> it's, it's only two and a half hours away. We're taking you back to Stratford, and oh God, we're gonna get you to see some other Shakespeare there because you deserve you deserve more. Can I? Uh, can I also? This is. I'll cut this later. But I once. <laughs> I once. I once wrote a paper on uh, Twelfth Night, and uh, I got a, I got a B plus, um, and I was told that I would have gotten an A minus had I not titled my paper, Thirteenth Night Malvolio's Revenge. Uh, this time it's personal. Oh, yeah, I because I snorted. See, that I don't know what your teacher was doing. I'd have given you an A plus for that. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? Are you kidding me? So, okay, so back to ten things. Well, yes. I mean, okay. Keith Ledger I, on the bleachers. Heath Ledger performs what is one of my favorite grand gestures of all time in that movie, and he looks really good doing it. Once again, I'm trying to avoid gushing too much because I really want Mary Graham to be able to experience this. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But I just, I do want to say that teen movies really, really nailed rom-coms for a very mm-hmm. long time. And honestly, they are still doing it because you have Love, Simon. You have To All the Boys I Loved Before. Yeah. Here's the thing. Some I, of those are swinging into TV show territories, which is going to be where I was going to jump in. And oh, be right like, before you do that, I, I would also pause it. Easy A. Oh, yeah. Oh, which, yeah. like... Oh, Easy A is phenomenal. Easy A is phenomenal and is a... like Because that came out when I was in high school, is a later stage kind of phenomenon of the liter- the high school comedy literary adaptation because it's very, very, very loosely Scarlet Letter. Yeah. And it's just so funny and has the gratuitous musical number and is very self-referential to like other romantic comedy. You know, it references The Breakfast Club and mm-hmm. other like mm-hmm. 80s teen movies. I would argue it's more of a teen movie than a romance, although there is a romantic subplot and like the guy is nice, but like that is a film about Emma Stone. Um, and Stanley Tucci is her dad. Talk about well-developed side characters. My mother and I quote the parents from that film all the time. Like when her mom's like, oh, no, no, honey, your father's very straight. Very straight. Sometimes a little too straight. And Emma Stone's like, get out, 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 get out. <laughs> it's just, it's, yes. Don't, but, let me, don't let me come to the mic. It's just going to be a tangent on Stanley Tucci. I'm just going to step away. <laughs> we'll have a Stanley Tucci episode. Oh, yeah, we could. So, TV shows. Oh, yeah. So, listen, the rom-com is dead as a movie. Mm-hmm. I will I will admit that. The last, uh, last we had was Always Be My Maybe with Keanu Reeves. After that, <laughs> As I'm himself. not sure. Uh, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. There are so many TV shows that have taken what makes a rom-com good and like, you know, well-rounded characters. Yep. Good side characters. Yep. Plot development. 
you know, enemies to lovers always slaps hard. But like the thing is, it's all TV shows now. It's TV shows or it's comic books or it's it's gone into so many formats. But yeah, what did we get last? Or, you know, um, I will say Fire Island was amazing. Oh, but that's still on my list. I've heard incredible, yeah. which listener, if you don't know, is a gay adaptation, gay modern yes. adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. That I have been told is one of the hands down the adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. I, I loved Fire Island so much. And yes, I am going to talk about because I can't stand Billy Eichner, but bros does exist. Um, but that's the thing is it wasn't good. <laughs> And like every single time Billy Eichner was like, oh, there's never been a mainstream gay rom-com before. I'm like, Love, Simon is right there. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, it was aimed at teens, but it is still a rom-com and it's a rom-com that was successful enough. It got a TV show. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Heartstopper, Heartstopper, which was graphic novel first and has been amazingly popular on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yep. So, and then, like to all the boys I loved before, not yeah. queer, but you know, yeah, still. But I mean, you're making classic rom com. Think in terms of like how I've been uh, sort of ingesting rom coms mostly. Mm -hmm. It's mostly been K dramas. Yes, I think yeah, about it. Same. I've been like, I love a Korean drama. You know yep. why? They know how to make something one season and then let it go. Yeah. Sorry, I had to look at oh, the mic so that you, people. Could you know what me. else? You know what else? Because I've also been watching a ton of Asian dramas that are count as rom coms, but yes. it's they're all queer. Yes, they're all queer. Like, and why can't we do this, America? Make I ask it queer, you. <laughs> make it queer. Don't you know everyone wants it queer? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, uh, and speaking of comics that are rom coms, I we we just got in finally. Uh, she loves to cook. She loves to eat, which is like I keep jokingly calling it the lesbian cooking show. Um, Say more right now. Oh yeah, I will. Um, <laughs> but they're neighbors. Um, they both come back from work late at night. They're both starving. One of them really loves cooking. One of them will like eat her weight in fried chicken on the daily. It's delightful. Um, what I will sell to you in a two panel sequence. One, the, the one that loves to cook is like, oh no, how do adults hang out? We're going to be friends. How do we hang out? What is a what? And she's like picturing going to fancy bars and stuff. And then her friend is just like, do you want to go get ramen and our PJs at midnight and then make a bucket of pudding? It's delightful. It's perfect. Adding that one to the whole That's list love. too. Yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of of television and the the rom com as concept, dear listener, it is once again time for me to talk about <laughs> the best and lowest rated show on network television, <laughs> Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Uh, I'm not quite sure the timing of episode releases, listener. We uh, this is my second podcast of the week. Earlier this week, we recorded musical theater, and so I talked about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend there. But if you enjoy hopping around your podcast feed, or this is the first episode you've listened to, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a four-season show because those people know how to end a show when it's time to end the show. A four-season show that is a four-season-long musical with over a hundred original songs. Uh, but it also deeply, deeply interrogates a lot of very deeply uncritically held cultural narratives about love and romance and the trappings of a romantic comedy and how it's supposed to work and what a happy ending is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. um, because this woman, Rebecca Bunch, runs into an old camp ex-boyfriend of hers on the street in New York. He's moving back home to West Covina, California. She's not very happy. Uh, at her law firm in New York. And so she up and 
moves and follows him because that's quirky and romantic and impulsive and not at all kind of distressing uh and and the very first the end of the first episode uh she and and the woman who will become her best friend for the whole series sing this duet that references richard Gere and all of these other romantic comedy mainstay mm-hmm. actors because her her new best friend uh is like oh no, no no you're not weird for doing this at all like this is this is love. This is this is amazing. You're you've done your grand gesture. You're shooting your shot. Like this this whole thing, and then it spends four seasons going, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that? And it's glorious. It's glorious. And I was also watching this show at the same time I was taking a class in college about uh, romance in the medieval era in Europe um, and it turns out that so many tropes that crazy ex-girlfriend kind of goes oh god that's we thought about that critically and that's a terrible idea Who's, <laughs> whose idea was that the answer is usually 12th century France uh, yeah. You can blame uh, them for uh, basically everything. <laughs> I like how everyone was just like uh, collectively uh, of course, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the the theme song for Crazy Ex Girlfriend changes every season, and the theme song for season two goes, "I'm just a girl in love. I can't be held responsible for my actions. I have no underlying issues to address. I'm adorably cute. No, I'm something cute and adorably obsessed. They say love makes you crazy, therefore you can't call her crazy. Because when you call her crazy, you're just calling her in love. It's like very." Genius is what it is. Genius is what it is. Everyone go watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Shout out to Rachel Bloom. That's all. Shout out to Rachel Bloom. You genius. I think I want to go somewhere if we have time. Can you can you follow me? Yeah. yeah. uh, There's a film called The Philadelphia Story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. With uh, Jimmy Stewart. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Stewart. Cary Grant. Went on to be in a film called The Shop Around the Corner. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. Which about 50 years later was remade by Nora Ephron. Mm hmm. Called you got mail. Got mail. I'm gonna briefly quote Crazy Ex Girlfriend again because Tom Hanks's character, in the words of a song Rebecca Bunch has, is a soul sucking corporate piece of trash. I I think the and I'm gonna let let's let's litigate this movie because I think the movie wants to be able to say, oh yes, we are saying he is bad. We know he's bad, but it wants you to. But it knows it's Tom Hanks. It knows it's Tom Hanks. But that's the problem. Because, you know, my best friend's wedding knew it was Julia Roberts. And you know Mm -hmm. what? She doesn't get the guy in the end. Just saying. She gives her, you know, self-actualization in another way. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is me being grumpy because I despise You Got Mail. Because it's basically like, oh, yes, the the death of, you know, the indie bookstore. Which, you know... Just... I thought the grand gesture was going to be him buying her bookstore back. And I would have been like, okay, like this isn't ideal because she would still be receiving from the hand of the man that she's now basically financially dependent upon. But mm-hmm. her bookstore still would have been open and I would have been fine. But no, that doesn't happen. There's no grand gesture. She, she doesn't get her bookstore back. She does not have a happy ending. No. no. And you know what? That's... Okay, so in the Villains podcast, I gushed about the fact that I love villains. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that I love villains while recognizing that they are villains oh, and yeah. that they don't necessarily deserve good things happening to yeah. them. It infuriates me when 
I see a very obvious villain who just, mm -hmm. there's no accounting whatsoever for their crimes. Yeah. And that entire movie is just Tom Hanks committing crimes and, and getting, getting a, a girlfriend. Like, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, so the Broadway musical She Loves Me is also based on the shop around the corner. There's a very excellent professionally shot stage version um it's got zachary levi and his gorgeous gorgeous broad shoulders and laura benanti um as the two leads and it's a similar except it takes place in like a hungarian perfume shop and they're doing it through the post um the the sort of two-person love triangle where they don't mm -hmm. know they're writing to each other mm -hmm. um uh, it's also got Gavin Creel as like the cad of the cad, huge Gavin Creel fan me. Uh, so if you want to watch him be like, I had to censor myself there for a second for a whole, <laughs> for all, with Jane Krakowski, it's amazing is the point. It's on the internet legally, go find it. Um, but like that's a version of that story because these people are equal, are like employment wise, they're equals. They have the same position as mm -hmm. salespeople at the shop which makes the romance of it all much more satisfying because he doesn't have this kind of like weird economic power trip. Like they just hate each other because they've decided they don't like each other. I think the movie is trying to say, uh, here I am defending it. I'm just putting it on the table. I think the movie, I think all the movie skates by on is, but they're perfect for each other. But here's the thing. And, and the internet, the internet's but it, that's the whole, that's the whole thing about the, the third act of that film is like, wait a minute. Greg Kinnear and Parker Posey are perfect for each other or whatever the hell. And right. but these two are perfect for each other. Credits. Well, you know what? That actually makes me want to go back to something Simon brought up, which is your disdain for Sleepless in Seattle. Yep. Because yeah. I actually really love Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> but I, I recognize Bill the Pullman. problem. Because Bill yeah. Pullman, love him. Love him. Yeah. Is a perfectly fine character. He just He's, has allergies. He just has allergies. He's a little boring, like boring to her. Yeah. Specifically, honestly, sounds like my kind of dream guy. Like, I just, I love a low key man who sneezes. Like, yeah. you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with him, but the whole basis and we're, we're not supposed to be mad at Meg Ryan for breaking up with him. Um, but, not. you know, the whole thing is that it's sold as, you know, they just weren't right for each right. other. Which but, is fair, but like they, the two romantic leads in that movie spend less than, th share less than three minutes of screen time see, together. I'm convinced. And exactly, I'm it, it doesn't earn its moment of, mm -hmm. oh, but they're perfect for each other. And I think like You've Got Mail does a little bit better on that front. And that be, they, because they have the like does. a, yeah, exactly. They recreate the whole, well, come yeah, see you in bed. But so. it's still very like, Oh, they love each other now? Okay, yes. great. Uh. They're perfect well, for each other. Well, here's the thing. And this is something that I really want to think about now because, you know, I love Sleepless in Seattle. But now I'm thinking really hard and I'm like, do I just like Sleepless in Seattle because I love the side characters in that movie? Yep. That that's movie, it. Yeah. They have, <laughs> that movie has an excellent supporting cast. Yep. And that scene... Mm -hmm. With Rita Wilson, which was brought up in the book that I mentioned earlier, but it's also my favorite scene in that movie where she's talking about the movie that, you know, the, the movie also constantly references that mm -hmm. I don't. There is a movie referenced within the movie, listener. I am sorry for being confusing. And there is a scene in which Rita Wilson, who is playing Tom Hanks's sister, is recounting to him and her in-movie husband about this big emotional 
reveal in this movie she just spontaneously bursts into tears yeah. while they are watching her nothing short of befuddlement and amazement and not amazement in the positive connotation <laughs> and it is one of the funniest scenes in a movie mm-hmm. i love it i also relate deeply to it because i too can burst into tears of who knows what if something catches me at the right time and yeah. it is so funny and it's just one of those moments where you're like these supporting characters are such full and wonderful people and seeing how much they love the main characters is used as a sort of like vehicle to make you also love the main characters Mm -hmm. and then believe that they're good for each other but i need to rewatch sleepless in seattle (laughs) so i this is reminding me and this will maybe be a segue into looping back into tv but the whole the whole like recounting this movie and and bursting into tears while one does it has reminded me of a scene in the tv show lovesick which is on Netflix and originally aired under the title Scrotal Recall because (laughs) (laughs) yep it is about (laughs) it is about a guy named Dylan played by Johnny Flynn who plays Mr. Knightley in the most recent adaptation of Emma um Dylan, who in the first uh, episode finds out he's tested positive for chlamydia, uh, the National Health Service gives him his uh, antibiotic pills and also a stack of postcards because you have to let all of your past sexual partners know. Uh, And so the whole series is about him going through his past partners and like calling them up to say, by the way, (laughs) oops. Um, And also like, but also kind of like, doing a post-mortem on all of these relationships and it's about him and his two best friends and um it it as it turns out he he and one of the best friends have this sort of at various points unrequited love for each other going on and so it's also the ultimate romance is is between the two of them but a little bit like crazy ex-girlfriend it's about like what are we doing with all of these cultural norms of romance like what do you actually need for a successful romantic relationship but there's a scene where the best friend he's not in love with like describes the entirety of the film point break to him (laughs) and like shot by shot and he's like we don't have to do this and by the end both he and his best friend are like in tears (laughs) (laughs) and uh and simon i i know that something you wanted to talk about uh within the terms of like the the rom-com is dead long live the rom-com is that now it's currently living in television in shows like parks and recreation and i think part of that is because we have so much time for these kids this is not a character share three minutes of screen time situation Mm -hmm. leslie nope and has Ben like Wyatt five seasons has like five seasons and yeah. like and their recurring thing of I love you and I like you. Yeah. I really think is one of the most romantic lines. Yes. And in just, TV. And just the swinging through their different career highs and lows and like actually living together and Ben Wyatt going through that horrible depression and mm-hmm. her sticking with him through all of it. Like, yeah. Parks and Rec secretly the best rom-com of the last 15 years and i mean shit's creek i also find deeply yeah. romantic and the thing that i love about watching the first episode where david and patrick meet is you see it in patrick's face when david is like unable to describe exactly the small business he would like to start yeah. patrick's face is like oh he's so stupid and i'm already in love with him yes like yeah it's an it's an experience yeah right it's more of an experience 
But it's like a general store, but it's like... It's an experience. <laughs> we, we do a lot of um, Schitt's Creek TikToks here at the Ferndale Area District Library. That's listener. a really touching so arc, I'm, I'm doing my yeah. best David Rose hand Because David right is sort of like aware of how horrible he is. Yeah. Yep. And he finds this person... And then, I mean, the scene, mm-hmm. when I showed... He, he, no, I'm sorry. That was like a laugh of like Jeff seeming so genuinely touched by this that he has to like truly. walk away from I had, the I had to like, oh, And I'm, I'm laughing in admiration of observing that moment, mm-hmm. to be clear. So I watched like all of Shit's Creek and then I turned to my mother and I said, I think you would actually really, really enjoy the series. And so we watched a lot of it together. And when we got to the episode where Patrick sings Simply the Best at the open mic, my mom was like... Oh, like, you know, and another thing that I love about that romance is that it's queer. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's a romance between a pansexual, fairly effeminate man and another man who's figuring out that, like, oh, maybe he's never actually been attracted to women. Yeah. And that just, oh, in, in this world where they basically never have to worry about homophobia. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and and just lets itself be deeply romantic and have this couple sort of struggle with like, you know, just what does it mean to be together and moving in with each other and dealing with each other's families and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And talk about great side characters. And talk about yes. talk about great side characters. But uh isn't there another T V show, uh Simon, you wanted to bring up? Oh no, I left my head. That's okay. Listeners, it's I'm sorry. It is Friday. <laughs> we all just had a collective like I mean I do have broken. to throw I wouldn't say that this is like a top tier romance oh I remember what is it oh no um a couple different anime that we just got in that yes. are secretly also incredible rom-coms um speaking of one where they just get together and the main conflicts aren't anything about their relationship is uh, my love story mm-hmm. which is uh the main character of this show is literally named Gu- uh gouda like the cheese he is that cheesy yes. uh he is that desperately in love with his girlfriend it's very cute. He is the one case, Mary Graham, where it is fully excusable. Not yes. even like somewhat <laughs> excusable. It is fully excusable. It is fully excusable. Um, we also just got Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun, which is uh, an incredible little romance anime where it's two high school kids. One of them draws like a monthly romance manga. And the girl that has a crush on him gets a job as his assistant. So they're like drawing this romance manga while they're falling in love. It's Aww. very Aww. It's very cute. I love that show so much. Yeah. Sorry. I do have to, while we're talking about television shows, throw out there that while I don't consider it one of the great TV romances, because I think the writers do very, very dumb things about breaking up for stupid reasons and then later mm-hmm. getting back together. The television series New Girl. I was waiting does for someone to say <laughs> have the best kiss on television. You know what? That is 100, no offense, Zoe, but what's his name? Because it's so funny you say that. Oh, Jake Johnson? Yes, that is 100% his fault. It is 100% Jake Johnson is doing all the work in that kiss scene. You know how they say, like, people act with their eyes or people act with, that man acts with his mouth. I can (laughs) see, I can see it in my mind's eye. I've spent a a normal (laughs) amount of time watching the New Girl season two episode Cooler. A normal amount of time. Sorry, 
sorry, any parents listening with their children. I admit that as innocently. I think as we already said scrotal. So like, <laughs> that was the that is a biological term, right, and it was is. the name of the show, and it was funny. Hey, hey, <laughs> puns are great. Um. Well, <laughs> new yes, honestly, I'm glad that you brought up New Girl because that that is a show that I actually really tried to watch, and the reason why I say try. Is because as you all know, and as the listeners who have been with us for a while know, I don't really like TV shows unless it's like anime specifically. Mm. That is a show that I actually watched almost pretty faithfully until one of the like breakup moments where I was like, I can't can't abide by this. I actually have only (laughs) seen it. I've seen every episode up to like the Nick and Jess breakup and then they get back together later in the series. And I've only seen it sporadically after that because I'm like, that's a dumb thing to do to break up. Now, Schmidt and Cece is also, some mm-hmm. would argue, the true romance of the show. Yes, they are a fantastic character uh, relationship. We came this close to having Max Greenfield on this podcast. <gasps> what? I never revealed that to you. And now I'm calling him out on Mike. <laughs> but he had to cancel who he was double booked or something. <gasps> yeah. He wrote a children's book. He was nearly on this podcast. Max, come on the podcast. Max, come on the podcast. We need to talk about... We you. need to talk about everything. We need to talk about everything. I think the last thing that I want to to note on as we wrap up here and i think that a lot of the examples that have been brought up here especially simon's examples are really refreshing because i think that a lot of those 90s movies Mm -hmm. hinge upon oh if i just find the right person Mm -hmm. my entire life will be perfect yeah Yeah. which is why all of my favorites are about the work my big fat greek wedding is about the work Mm -hmm. of like Mm How are you willing to adapt to in in a in a not self-effacing or self-destroying way? Mm-hmm. But how are you willing to adapt to be with the person mm-hmm. that you love? The thing about Pretty Woman and Sleepless and You've Got Mail is it's it is that Prince Charming thing of like, oh, if I just find the right person, mm-hmm. um, I won't have to worry about my store getting bought out. <laughs> Come on, yeah, yeah. I, and that loops me back to Emma because Emma is also about people who've known each other for a very long time, yeah. and mm-hmm. ends with. Mm-hmm. The guy making all of the sacrifices. Yeah. Like, he's got more status. He's older. I think he's got more land. Like, and he's the one who's like, no, no, no I'll move in with you. You know? Mm-hmm. And just... Right. That's just all the all the, all the the best ones. Yeah. And I mean, I notoriously don't really like lying as a plot device. But I love 10 Things I Hate About You. Because yeah. while the entire, like impetus of that movie is like I need you to lie to this girl so I can try to get with her little sister Mm -hmm. it also is about two characters actually falling in love with each other for who they are and not actually compromising who they are at the end of the movie unlike uh, in the original play thanks Mm -hmm. Shakespeare but you know growing. Quick, Quick shout out on the same concepts must be about nothing Yes. Which is about two characters who, it's not lying so much as they've both been mutually deceived. Yes. But they do realize that they love each other for exactly who they are as people. Yes. Um, And that's part of why the Branagh film works very well, uh, is because it's just like, it's a 1993 (laughs) rom-com. It's just, you know, set with Shakespearean English. Shout out out Emma Thompson. Oh, Emma Thompson. Uh Any closing thoughts, folks? On this wild, wild Friday. Any last shout out, Simon? Oh, the thing is, the, the the thing I want to shout out the most is unfortunately not something I can buy on DVD for the library. So I feel very conflicted recommending it. Oh, no, let's recommend. Okay. It's Chaos called, Reigns. Okay, it's called Old Fashioned Cupcake. You need to watch it 
right now. It is about um, an older man coming to terms with his queerness later in life, uh, being so depressed he doesn't realize he's depressed, and like the person he eventually ends up with is the person who's like known him forever, who's like dragging him out of his depression and making him realize he like literally has a moment, like two episodes in, where he's like, "Oh no, I'm in love with this guy," mm-hmm. and it's just it's acted beautifully um the cinematography is gorgeous it's also only five episodes so it is basically movie length you can you can knock it out in a weekend um but yeah if you're if you're looking for a good queer it's less of a comedy more just the most deeply romantic thing i've ever seen in my life yeah old-fashioned cupcake (laughs) also not necessarily a romantic comedy but a film that is very funny and that also has a solid central romance a knight's tale so yes. more Heath ledger <laughs> um and i also want to recommend uh the episode of the podcast we're not so different um hosted by uh dr eleanor yanaga uh where and she's a medievalist and so it's her and her co-host luke talking about a knight's tale and what makes a knight's tale just such a baller film but also a very satisfying film to watch if you love the middle ages which mm-hmm. is someone who does love the middle ages i completely agree with like it's not unlike monty python and the holy grail <laughs> it's written by people who understand what they're working with who understand the tropes who understand the language but who are also like you know how we're going to open this film with we will rock you yes and with medieval peasants watching a jousting match doing the stomp stomp clap yes. for mm-hmm. we will rock i'm so you. glad that you're getting to watch this for the first time because it's like, such I love this movie. a <laughs> beautiful experience before Je- jeff cuts off the mic i have to like wave the banner for a couple of actors who i mm. feel like deserve to be in rom-coms first off Brian Tyree Henry should be in every rom-com as a leading man. Apparently, Dave Bautista also really wants to be in one. Oh, yeah, do it. Yeah, so do that. (laughs) Also, I would like a rom-com with Keanu Reeves as the leading man, and he gets the person, whoever it is, hopefully me, at the end of the movie. (laughs) That is all I have to say. Uh, John Boyega. Somebody cast John Boyega as the romantic lead in everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you. Oh, let let John Boyega and um oh man the guy that played Poe just let oh. them be in a boys love drama together. Like, yeah, yeah. Oscar Isaac, yes. Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Yes. Also, Knight's Tale. Too bad, um, Shannon Slossman. Hollywood did not figure out what to do with you. You, you yeah. were great. Yeah, you deserve uh, better. I know you're still out there. You deserve better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Amy Hackerling because when Cher comes to the fountain and has an epiphany and falls in love with Paul Rudd, that's when I, also coming of age, fell in love with Paul Rudd (laughs) in the 90s. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining me on this podcast. We really had a lot to talk about. And you should be hearing this in time. If you still want to get a team together and you live in the area, you could sign up for Rom-Com Movie Trivia. It's a little too quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And we thank John Duffy for our music. And we thank the friends for supporting us. And we thank you for listening to us. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tune in back tune back in next week for more. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>